I think in a lot of ways, um, making coffee and the actual working in a cafe is a lot like running. It's very, it is repetitive, but it's also not. And it's also very, can be meditative. It can be, um, you know, you build friendships through it uh, and it doesn't get old. Kia Koto. That was Matt Grills. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. This is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Scott Running is back. They never left, but they're back in stock. Uh, we have we don't have they have uh new uh the kinabalu 2.0 with its fantastic beige colorway uh for the dad energy um they've got the super track 2.0 and the kinabalu ultra rc back in stock along with lots of packs sealed jackets we uh the pants the pants that we're compelled to wear at kepler uh, not wear but carry the poles Go to scottrunning.nz and get after it because their shoes are fantastic. And it's good to wear pants in weather. It is good to wear pants in weather. I've I, have you ever had occasion in a race to wear a pair of seam sealed pants? Not in a race, no, no, no. But I have, I'm, I have I'm had always to reassured them. that I have them. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think generally any weather, it's good to wear pants, except for very hot weather. Well. Even then, come on. More sexy with Family it. show. But, you Family know. show. Yeah. Oh, exciting. Yeah, exciting. Scott Running. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't quantify what sexy weather is. I, I've certainly never seen it. But uh, scottrunning.nz uh, for, uh, yeah, check out their amazing, amazing stock. Ultra Spire, too, also back in stock. The Zygos 4, which is the, 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 the ruler of all packs. Uh, the... They've got the new Epic. They've got the new Ascent. They've got the new, oh, what's it called? One of the other ones that's awesome as well. But you should go for the Zygos. Stick mm. around uh, for the, um, oh, my goodness. What is it? The Astral. Mm. The woman-specific one the choc- the, with the mint chocolate chip colorway. Come on. Mm. Incredible. Mm. Uh, ultraspire.co.nz for them i was wearing my zygos yesterday and just thinking i love this thing we've been wearing zygos for years yeah we've been wearing zygos for the longest time Mm. wild things Um, don't forget you can use that code dcr 2021 dcr it's very easy to remember dcr dirt church radio 2021 what's that that's the year um look you get 15 months uh membership vip membership for the price of 12 and one of the uh-huh. great things about vip membership you can basically earn your money back well you get the free three yeah. months anyway but if you pop into this store on wildthings.club you get so many uh discounts across everything in store and they've got a whole bunch of new brands and gear recently included hydropack such Radix, as hydropack radix rab orange mud packs yeah PLBs, obviously. Is that if, like- you're, if you're going to go wild, you know, and go deep, deep, deep wild, like not a loop around in the backyard like we're having to do at the moment. But anyway, if you're going to go wild, 
get yourself a PLB, honestly, worth it. So that's it. personal locator beacon. Beacon, yes, yes, yep. yes, yes. And this one's a seriously tiny one, but you get a big discount with it. They've got the Ultraspire packs as well. So, look, wildthings.club, sign up for the VIP membership. You get 15 months for the price of 12. Everyone's happy. We get a little thanks to Rob. Yep. Uh, and uh, you get your discounts, and you basically earn your money back. Go for it. Love it. Mm. It goes something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster, now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster, now. Ditchitch Radio. Episode 169. We made it. We made it, man. We did. We did. We nearly didn't. I nearly stuffed up the intro. Well, I did stuff up the intro, and you were kind enough to um, give us another take. So if that had stayed, we wouldn't have made it. What would have happened? No, but we did, man. We're, we're into it. and I mean, episode 169, that seems a lot of episodes. It does. And uh, we seem to be inching ever closer, inexorably closer, hopefully, to the time when we can be uh, reunited in the flesh and, mm. and podcast together. But... My goodness, uh, what a! How, how are you, man? How like last time I saw you, you were waterlogged. You were <laughs> beginning to blister up quite nicely. I mean, how's your week been? Yeah, well, my week got uh, immeasurably better after consulting uh, Nurse Matt on what was that Saturday? Was that Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday. Yeah, uh, blister under my big toe, which was just oh. Oh, man, it wouldn't go away. It was just. Anyway, uh, yes, so thank you for your advice. That helped immensely. Um, well, they said telehealth is dead, but um, it's almost worth <laughs> getting a blister under your big toe or any toe with the relief, for the relief. and painlessness of getting after it and mm. getting it sorted out. Mm. Like, mm. Just incredible. Mm. It was good. It, so it was good. Hey, while, while we're talking about that, um, so last week, in case you missed it, um, Jamie Stevenson and Andrew McDowell and I ran, well, we attempted to run 24 hours. None of us actually made it, but uh, ran a long way. Um, I wanted to mention that a bunch of other people did DIY 24-hour runs last weekend too. Jeff Ness, for instance, he ran about 191K. And Mike Van Campen from from Fielding, who's a firefighter down there, he booked the Manawatu uh, Community Athletics Track in good old Palmy North, and his target was to reach 500 laps or 24 hours, and he achieved that after 22.5 hours. So I assume he meant he got 500 laps after 22.5 hours. And then he carried on to walk the remaining 90 minutes and got 207.3 kilometres in the 24 hours, which is is a very, very good distance you know that would have been a good distance at the at the actual race um, that we were all training for, but given that it was a solo effort, that is massive. So, and a few yeah, others had to go as well. Well done, everyone. Yeah, I mean, you can't overstate the uh, the challenge of doing something like that by yourself. Like yeah. I, when I saw where you guys were running and the fact that you're doing it by yourself, I was just like, oh, this is going to be gnarly when yeah. it gets dark yeah and, that's uh, right many many hours running goodness. on your own mm, mm, mm. speaking of many many hours running katie wright last mm. week what a what a great chat i'm yeah. still kind of 
buzzing out about it really like we've spoken to her so many times and it was a, it was a different kind of quality of conversation it was yeah she's always so good though isn't she we do need to make yeah. a clarification we kept on talking about miq and we got a message from an overseas listener who was like hey great show love the interview what's miq uh yeah uh so managed, managed isolation, isolation quarantine yeah is what it is uh it's the system <sighs> whereby people returning to new zealand have to Go into MIQ facilities uh, to isolate, obviously for COVID. Uh, it was 14 days. Now I think, is it seven? It's less than 14 days. Anyway. Ruth Croft. Yeah, I, I, don't mean in, to be, I don't mean to be flippant, no. uh, but I don't know, dude. No, um, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not having to go into MIQ myself, so I'm not completely up to date with the exact number. Ruth mm. Croft might be able to tell us. She's in MIQ at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's what MIQ is this week. Matt Grills, I mean, yeah. Australian running uh, legend. Uh, this, I mean, he's trained for training for a race across Australia or a run mm. across Australia. Uh, he's got a fantastic backstory, which you know you'll get into with the conversation. But he's just finished up uh, doing uh, fifty days with uh, a minimum of forty-two point two kilometers uh and you know you get to hear about that his recovery the fact that uh you know his um gosh his move into being a cafe owner where he came from and just you know his his outlook on life is is yeah. really really refreshing so yeah it's such can't a wait to bring yeah, he's a motivating guy isn't he you know absolutely and tattooed absolutely. tattooed up the wazoo yes. yeah, he is Ooh. tattooed up the wazoo uh like yeah they it, he sort of went by the name for a while. I think he's kind of stuck with him, the, the tattooed runner, and sort of very quickly that becomes apparent as to as to why. Yeah, um, not, not so much on a podcast, but you know, no, a simple uh, Google search could clear all that up for you, though. Mm, mm. Indeed. All right. Stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. Eleanor Arnst and Matt Bailey. Went on a bit of a mission this mm. weekend. Like mm. I saw on the uh, I saw on the old Instagram that mm. when they start uh, when you get photos of Matt Bailey and Eleanor Arnst and they've done a flat pack of their gear, you know that something is uh, something's a foot flat lay of the gear. Some something's a foot. So mm. yeah, it says here in April 2020, David Harrington recommended a challenge involving crossing the Ruahine Ranges while climbing all 21 peaks over 1600 meters. Now. Ellie Arnst and Katie Wright are the, they hold the FKT on the Ruahini Ranges. Um, but Ellie and Matt Bailey made plans to have a crack, but they had to wait for the right time and the weather. And that finally arrived at 4 a.m. Uh, last Friday when they set off for an attempt to run the Ruahini 1600s in a single push in under 24 hours. It says it may, <laughs> it's approximately 58 kilometers, so it's relatively relatively short, but mm. uh, it's uh, 5,700 meters of vert yeah. uh, and has many, many uh, technical sections. And they only bloody well went and did it, didn't they? They did. They smashed it. So uh, Matt posted this um, afterwards, made it around in one push, thanks to Allianz, who had done all the pre... Her pre, her pre 
Shall I duff that? Yeah, she'd done amazing pre-planning work. Uh, so, uh, and they'd walked a few sections recently, so they were familiar with the place. Um, but they had great weather, um, fresh to start, and then sunny for stunning sunrises and sunsets. A gentle breeze kept them cool, and the tarns kept them watered. Uh, when night fell, it got pretty fresh, and uh, Matt said his energy intake may have dropped. So from Hikurangi on, he was more than grateful that Ali was able to keep them on course with no errors through the cloud. Uh, they did manage to view the eclipse, which was spectacular from ah. the top. So that would have been amazing. Uh, they made it down to the bottom, and after a swift cable car across the river, uh, climbed to K-Base at 0034 hours. So that was 20 hours, 34 minutes after they started. 6,700 metres of vert, 21 peaks, 67 kilometres, so a little bit further than they thought it was going to be, and they were done. Um, great, day out, great day out, he said. And I wonder you, if Matt Bailey says it's, fr- says it's fresh, if he, I don't know, put a beanie on or something. Matt traditionally runs, uh, he's from the north of England, so he runs in the shortest of running shorts and the sveltest of running singlets. Yep. Um, yeah. So that probably him saying fresh was probably a beanie or maybe some arm sleeves yeah. when everyone else would be like fully rugged Four up. Four laser thermals. Yeah. <laughs> no, amazing adventure. Amazing adventure, you too. And uh, yeah, well, well done. Well done. Congratulations. Um, I wonder if that'll be something that other people will chase now that they've set down the mark. Hopefully. Mm, hopefully. Yeah. 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 You can see Tim Sutton going after that or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, over the weekend was the um, Madeira Island Ultra Trail in um, in Portugal. Um, 115 kilometres for the longer race, 72 miles, with 7,200 metres of, of climbing. Um, and it goes across the island from, from west to east. Uh, and it's pretty damn technical. Well, there were a couple of Kiwis racing. Sophie Grant. Yeah. It- yeah. We'll claim her. So she was sixth in 1938, 47 for the women. And our own Sam McCutcheon, Wellington boy, he was sixth place for the men in 15, 15, 38. Yeah. And the race yeah. was run. Uh, the race was won by Hilary Allen, mm. the woman in 17, 18, 26. And she had a 39-minute lead over second, which is... Yeah, she just dominated. Well, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hannes Namberger of Germany, 14 hours flat, or 14 hours and 36 seconds. Mm. And he had a... F- he had a 40-minute lead over yeah. second. Mm. Amazing, amazing. Um, and it looked, yeah, I mean, it looks like an amazing course. Beautiful. Right, let's do this jingle. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it into us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from stalwart of our scene, uh, Jenny Hurst. And she's saying, another greatest run. So Jenny, if you've, if you've looked back through the archives, she sent in uh, runs. She sent in runs with her old high school photos. Like she really has thought about and had some really amazing mm. greatest runs ever. But this one is, is pretty sweet as. So this is an account of a rather special and standout run, and also a bit of a love letter, not to Dirt Church Radio, as fond as I am of you guys, well, that's nice, uh, but to my best mate and partner in adventures, my husband, Pete. Although I dabbled in running at high school and supporting Pete, it was supporting Pete at his first Rotorua Marathon when we were 21 years old at university that provided the inspiration to run long. The following year, we both signed up for the Cathay 
Pacific half, my first 21 kilometer. Shortly after that, we moved in together, and as they say, the rest is history. Uh, for a few years, work and kids took priority, but we resumed our running careers in our 30s and have been running strong mostly for over 20 years since, with many ultras and trails and marathons between us. In recent years, as empty nesters, Pete and I have had some great camper van trips around Aotearoa, just the two of us. These have been combined with running trails in some beautiful locations that we could thoroughly recommend the Wild Things Trail Directory for adventure holiday planning. There's a little plug from Jenny there, nothing but loyal. In January 2019, we're in the South Island for our 30th wedding anniversary. We camped at Nelson Lakes in the Kirby dock site at St. Arnold on Lake Rotorua. This was a return visit. Rotoroa, sorry. This was a return visit the year before we'd run around the lake, however this time we had some elevation in mind. Above the lake is the St. Arnaud Range with the spectacular views to be ahead of the lake and surrounding mountains. The trail up to the ridgeline is not long, only about an 11 kilometre return, but it's reasonably steep for us flatlanders. The morning of our wedding anniversary dawned cloudy with no view of the top of the range, and we thought it might not be the day. However, by early afternoon, the clouds lifted, the forecast was good, and we set off. The trail goes along the lake a short distance through tall beech forest before heading up winding around trees on increasingly steep, rocky and rooty terrain. Every so often, we would have to scramble over rock-strewn moraines formed by glaciers. There was even a couple of spots where avalanche damage was apparent, so very different from our usual Auckland trails. <laughs> After a few kilometres, the zigzags of the track became narrower and steeper. The trees became stunted as we approached the bushline. Soon after, we paused at around 1,400 metres on the parachute rocks and outcrop above the tree line with great views of the lake. From there, the track was marked by poles through rocks, tussock and alpine flowers and very steep. Pete was up ahead of me, scrambling towards the ridgeline at over 1,700 metres. The last few hundred metres to the summit took a good 20 minutes, but it was so worth it. The ridgeline at the top was narrow, with St. Arnaud Village and the lake behind the lake behind and way below us, and the Buller Valley and Kahurangi National Park beyond that. To the other side were views of the Wairo Valley and back to the Richmond Ranges, valleys, tarns and more mountain ranges as far as we could see. No buildings, no roads, no cars. A plane bl flew by at one stage, seemingly lower than we were. Silence, blue sky, sunshine, a brisk breeze, just the two of us on top of the world. After snapping a few photos, we tackled the descent a little faster on the return journey, finishing with a dip in the lake with a good view of the mountain range we had just climbed above us. It was not our longest or toughest run in any way, but it was spectacular. I felt so incredibly lucky to be spending an afternoon adventuring with my favourite person 30 years after our wedding day in such a beautiful location. Writing this in lockdown is especially poignant as we long for the freedom of the trails and hills. Pete injured his knee last year. He had a torn meniscus and is due to have surgery soon. He's determined to make a good recovery. Due to lockdown, this has been delayed, but I hope he'll be back to adventuring again soon. The camper van is booked for January 2022 and the wilderness awaits. Having a partner in life who loves to do what I do is something I never take for granted, and I'm grateful for all the support and encouragement he's given me over the years. I know we have many more greatest runs ever to come, so watch this space. Oh. Jenny and Pete, first of all, Batman, congratulations, uh, you two. You really are the sweetest, sweetest couple whenever we bump into you around the place. Um, you're both such kind-hearted and, and friendly people, and to hear that that's how you spent your 30th wedding anniversary just seems so, so fitting. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, why the Batman thing? I'm not is sure. Is he Batman? I'm not sure. Maybe he is. He Maybe seems he is. too happy yes, to be Batman. Um, he does. But... And and you're right, Eugene. It's it's, I mean, they just are one of the most wonderful couples in yeah. the sport. Yeah, out of Hanoi. 
Yeah, absolutely. True inspiration. Speaking of inspirations, uh, our conversation with Matt Grills. Matt is, uh, man, you, you'll hear about his, his life story from growing up in Bundaberg in Queensland to joining, to going to Finland, to then playing in a Christian rock band, to then becoming a police officer, uh, all the while sort of running ultra marathons and now owning a cafe and still running ultra marathons. Uh, his, you know, he's known for his adventures and his activism. Uh, he's passionate about well-being. He's passionate about uh, a life spent in movement. And you know, we can't wait to bring you this this wonderful conversation with the effervescent uh, Matt Grill. So please enjoy. Radio. Joining us from Bundaberg in Queensland is Matt Grills. Matt, welcome to Dirt Church Radio. How are you doing, man? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, we've been you've you've had we've been trying to tee this up for a little bit, um, and you've had a you've had quite a big last fifty days. Um, what have you been up to? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a couple of weeks in the making, not too not too long. So I think we got got things together pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I've just been uh, getting on with some normal training and also uh, real life and running life uh, at the same time. I mean, you say you've been getting on with some normal training. I see in, on, on your website, you did 50 days, 10, 10, 50, day, 10 50 Ks and 40 consecutive uh, 42.5 kilometer runs uh, for a total of 2,007.46 kilometers. That's, that's quite a volume for a, for a normal training. Yeah, so I guess um, we'll get straight into it to our, this is certainly the project and been uh, on the cards for the last uh, couple of years. Um, I've been ultra running and running for a lot longer than that, but uh, the immediate goal and the goal for the last couple of years. So to give the build up last year, I did a a uh, hundred days running a half marathon a day. Uh, and then this year, I, as you mentioned, I've just finished doing 50 days consecutively running a minimum of a marathon a day. Uh, and I threw a few 50K days in there as well. And this is all building to, as I mentioned, a, uh, a bit of a lifelong dream to next year run from the westernmost to easternmost point of Australia, uh, where I'll be running 100K a day for 50 days. So it's all part of the preparation and planning and, and getting the body and mind uh, ready to roll for next year. Wow, that's an. I mean, it, the word "incredible," the word "epic" gets chucked around the sport like it's just like, you know, there it is. Oh, that's epic! That's epic! That's pretty epic, man. I mean, how how do you factor that into your, uh, to your normal life? Are you running a certain loop every day? Were you trying to change it up, or what? Were you, what? How are you getting that done? Yeah, we're we're in a fortunate position where we we have our own business. So we we're in a specialty coffee shop uh, in a little town called Bagara, just near Bundaberg. And um, in the in the process of running the fifty days, also decided to open a second location. So that opened two days after I finished the uh, the fifty days. Um, but uh, I'm in a fortunate position where I can um, we could roster around starting a little later. Uh, so normally it's early mornings um, in the shop, but uh, early mornings training as well. So 
I was basically waking up at three o'clock every day or earlier and on the road by 3.30 um, most days and do and run for four to five hours or, um, you know, by the time you factor in uh, stopping and catching up with people, toilet breaks, um, you know, the little walk breaks to eat and drink. Um, you know, it's that sort of four to five hour uh, time frame each day for the 40 to 50 or 42.5 to 50 Ks. Uh, and then quick shower and then most days into work or um, or planning and setting up the new shop. So, and then family around that as well. It was uh, it was a, certainly a busy 50 days. You don't do things by halves, do you, mate? Um, <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, yeah, open a new shop and amongst a massive, massive training block um, and with a big goal on. So how how did your body adapt to to tackling that sort of mileage per day on top of your life yeah i mean over the years uh i mentioned i've been old training for probably about a dozen years or a touch over now uh i've i've worked up to i've always run reasonably high high volume at the beginning i certainly did my first marathon and uh was learning like everybody does and and ran low volume but then quite quickly got on the high volume train and uh, certainly for the last probably, uh, probably six to seven years, uh, have been doing sort of that hundred to 200 Ks a week, um, pretty continuously depending on what stage my training's in. So it was certainly a jump from that, uh, to go from, you know, I think for the last couple of years I've, that I've been running really healthily, I've averaged, I think around that sort of 110, 115 Ks a week for the year, uh, to go from that to then running 300 around 300k weeks um, definitely took some adaptation. Uh, n- not quite as much, to be honest, in the first couple of weeks. I, I thought it would be a lot harder in the first couple of weeks, um, but then I got to around day 35 uh, or 36 and started to have some pretty significant left leg problems. Started with my quad and then. That lasted for about eight days and then I had one day of good running and then it went to my hamstring on the same leg and that lasted nearly the, the remainder of the 50 days. So uh, it was certainly um, a, a challenge and and did take some adaptation, but, uh, you know, kind of at the same time, not as much, but then yeah. much more than I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this, I mean, you know, you're putting that much stress on your body, something's going to give, isn't it? It's just imagine... It's just how you're gonna how you're gonna cope with it. But it sounds like you, yeah, you've you've adapted over the years, so your body wasn't too in too much revolt. But um, tell us about the the bigger dream. So you said you've you've dreamed of it. It was a childhood, you know. You've dreamed of it for a long time. Sorry, can you can you tell us about that and why on earth you even considered doing something like this? Yeah, I uh, the why is always the question yeah. uh, for everything. Um, so. I guess the the origin running story, uh, my story is I like to think a little bigger than just the running, but my origin running story was I got into running to to do something with my dad and he was running half marathons and marathons for a number of years and I was a big gym head and kind of got sick of that and, and thought, well, I may as well do something with dad and to try and do something on his, on his uh, level. And he trained me up for my first marathon and, and ran my first marathon at 103 kilos uh, and 
pretty low body fat percentage and it was it was not a good time but uh a good time at the same time um and uh very quickly found out about ultra marathons and trail running and i uh, took my dad along for the ride and and i guess like a lot of people that remain in the sport for any period of time uh it's that constant uh quest for uh for more for different for bigger uh distance for new tests for faster speed um whatever your desire or or drive might be so i don't i don't really know where the initial idea came came from uh i yeah, I can't really remember, but it was certainly about seven or eight years ago that I thought I might like to try and run the extremities, so the the westernmost to eastermost. I I haven't been able to find anybody that's actually done that. Um, there's been a number of people run from uh, Perth to Sydney or Perth to Adelaide or uh, like city to city, but not the westernmost to eastermost point, and certainly not the volume that that I'm planning on doing. So, I. Uh, the timing wasn't right until uh, just recently. So I've probably actively been preparing for, for the adventure probably for 18 months to two years. Um, it, I've got a thing with numbers. So I'm starting 50 days out from my 40th birthday. So the plan is to run into Byron on my 40th. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, the timing's right with our businesses being reasonably established now. And my kids are a little older, uh, a little more independent and, and the timing right. I think I'm at a good age. I was always a little hesitant to do it too young because of the toll and the tax that it takes on your body doing something of that, uh, that magnitude. So timing's right. Why not? Uh, and it's certainly on the edge of, I think what's, I'm sure people will argue with this, but I think it's pretty on the edge of what's humanly possible. It's the record, I think, across America at the moment, um, certainly different topography, but is around that 97, 98K a day. Uh, it's a touch shorter, but much hillier. So, yeah, I mean, why not? Um, and we only live once, give it a run. <laughs> not as hot, though. I mean, I saw that photo yeah, of you with your, dad, uh, with your dad, Stewie, and, and I mean, you, you, you know, now anyone who Google search is Matt, you know, you're lean, you are jacked, dude. Like I, I was quite <laughs> shocked. Like everyone has like an origin photo. And I was like, you were jacked. What were you just fully into just getting after it in the gym? Was that your, was that your thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, like most ultra runners, my personality is pretty type A and if I'm going to do something, I do it properly. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was massively into the gym. I was also in a hardcore band at that point. So the image sort of went with uh, the size. Um, just as a probably a more um, uh, serious side to that, uh, I didn't actually realize, but at the time I, and again, as part of my story, I actually had a pituitary tumor uh, at the base of my brain and my body was actually uh, overproducing growth hormone. Um, right. And yeah, and my... Uh, but funnily enough, um, also not producing um, very much or at all producing any t testosterone. So it was an interesting mix, but I think the growth hormone certainly uh, helped with um, the size in the gym. Um, but uh, yeah, so all those things combined and certainly training extremely hard in the gym as much as I train hard now running, um, I definitely put on a fair bit of size. <laughs> 
And I mean, it makes sense that like reading, reading your bio, it says, you know, you obviously your faith comes through right throughout. It's, it's, it's something that you're, you know, you're open about. It's been a part of your life for a long time. It says here you're in a youth for Christ in your bio, you know, I was like, wow, you went to Finland and then, you know, you're in a youth for Christ band touring around. And then I think, okay, so you're in a hardcore band. So what, what position in the hardcore band were you? I was front man, so I was vocalist. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Vocals. But was it like a sort of t- tooth and nails record style? Like, what was the uh, what was yeah? The, so the kind of um, subgenre. Yeah, I mean, you sound like you. It sounds like you have a bit of knowledge around those kind of bands, but um, we were like uh, kind of Zayo meets um, Living Sacrifice, kind of just that super heavy. Um, yeah, anybody that's into that kind of music. I mean, uh, back when we first started the um we played uh pretty much all pub scene and uh and you know we're an active part of anybody that was around brisbane in the in the early to mid 2000s the north coast hardcore scene was um was massive and thriving then so we played uh with um parkway drive and amity affliction when they were first starting um and obviously massive bands now uh and a lot of other local uh, hardcore bands you know that was a massive part of my life and going to shows at least once a week or a fortnight, um, band practices, uh, working sort of dead end jobs or not dead end jobs, but jobs where I could just take off on tour and, um, be going to shows. So yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was really like a, a time in my life I look back on and, um, with a lot of fond memory and a lot of, uh, happiness and it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Great to be a part of. I'm having, uh, currently a, a- well, not a midlife crisis, but I've been thinking over the lockdown, like, gee, it'd be nice to start a hardcore band, but then I'd have to quit my job, you know, because <laughs> again, you know, runners do something, you do it properly, right? Like, we just have to devote all my time to this now, but I fully... Yeah, I won't lie, I've thought about it again as well, but I'm like, there's yeah. only so many hours in the day. <laughs> That's right. There's only so much my wife can take and she's so long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that too. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so, you know, we, we've established that, you know, whatever you do, you do 100%. And, and then you, you talk about, I'm just so interested on this journey. So you're playing in a hardcore band, you know, I'm guessing you've got basketball shorts, you're doing spin kicks, uh, and then, and you're getting jacked in the gym, and then your dad is a, is a runner. So yeah. how did that, like, what was the, did he, did he propose to you, why don't we do a marathon together, or is it something that just came about? Yeah, so uh, so like probably a lot of young men, like dad and I, uh, we didn't have a great relationship when I was growing up. Um, I dad worked a lot, and sort of his his way of showing us that he loved us was to work. He's he's old school, and and that's what they did. You know, they worked hard. They were at work when you got up. They were probably still there when you went to bed or close to. Um, but I really struggled with that as a probably a more emotional in touch with my feelings type teenager. I sort of want to dad around rather than at work. Uh, so I really struggle with that. Um, so we didn't have a great relationship when I was growing up. And then uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, I was, I went to Finland on youth exchange. And I think when, when I did that, I did a lot of growing up and, and realized a lot of things that I was probably doing wrong as a kid uh, growing up and as a teenager. And, and I think dad really sort of, thought about me not being there and um us not having much relationship so when i when i returned our our friendship and relationship certainly started to grow 
and um, he had always been active. Like he played uh, rugby league and touched football and and done sport his whole life. And then uh, he somehow found running. I'm, I think might have been we had some family friends that were into running. I'm not quite sure how he actually started, but he'd run some halves and he ran his first marathon, I think in the year 2000 or certainly around that time, or 99, 2000. Um, and he'd been just doing his thing for, uh, I guess, six or seven years. And I was just sort of watching, doing my gym thing. And I'd always, I'd always kept running. Um, I didn't want to be one of these guys that was massive but couldn't run around the block. Um, so I'd always kept running and kept some level of cardio fitness up. And then, I don't know, I just, I sort of come to a point with, with weight training in the gym where, you know, it was, is pretty egotistical and there wasn't like competition or you weren't working towards anything or, um, I was never going to be a bodybuilder cause I didn't want to take drugs and, you know, had strategy life my whole life. And, um, you know, didn't see a sort of an end point there and it all just become a little, I don't know, a bit shallow for me. So I'd started to dabble a little in running and then I think it was just a natural progression. I just saw dad doing what he did and and he certainly never pushed or, you know, was like, come to these runs. I went to a few runs and watched him and, um, you know, it was kind of a cool vibe and, I mean, it was road running. It was it's certainly a different vibe to trail running, um, but it was enough to sort of get me interested and, and decided to take on the challenge with with signing up for a marathon. So, yeah, I don't, it, they, there certainly wasn't any direct invitation that I remember. It was just like, hey, Dad, why don't you, you know, put together a program for me and I'll see if I can have a go around a marathon. My, my first one, the goal was four hours and um, and I did four hours in one minute. Oh. And I, I just started <laughs> the four hours. So, yeah, it was, um, that one, but that was the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's a that's a pretty good shot for the first one, though. I mean, you know, everyone kind of has these goals, and usually in your first one, you're you're way out, so to only be a minute out, that's that must have been pr- pretty good. But still, I imagine looking at the clock, going, "Damn it!" <laughs> but I yeah. remember we were like we were a couple of k out, and and Dad must have been watching the clock. I was hurting too much by that point, and he's yelling, "He's like, come on, we're gonna be close, come on!" And I'm just like, "He's like, run fast!" I'm like, "I'm running as fast as I can." <laughs> Yeah, it just didn't quite get there. So it didn't oh. help that it was in Toowoomba on a hilly course. And, oh, no. Uh, it was jail and yeah, yeah. But anyway, excuses. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. That's the main thing. And then, and then yeah, in, yeah. in 2009, the, the pair of you ran a, a 500Ks as a, yeah, so as we've a fundraiser done, as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So dad, uh, through that process as well, uh, early to early – uh, early to mid two thousands, um, had prostate cancer and, um, and went through surgery and stuff. And that was pretty close to, to his heart and trying to bring awareness to, to men about, um, men's health and, um, and certainly prostate cancer for men of his age. Um, and, uh, we decided we wanted to do again. I don't even really know how this idea come about either, but it was all around the time we'd started to get into ultra running and, and, you know, reading about all these crazy adventures that people were doing. And my, my catalyst was uh, like probably so many people was um, Ultra Marathon Man, so Dan Carnese's mm. book. Uh, and Got a lot to ask yeah, for that, man. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, 
some people want to rib him and I don't oh, know, think no. what you will, but he's no. got so many people into running. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Too right. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I still don't really know how the idea come about, but uh, yeah, we, we decided to, to do this fundraiser. So we kind of did it like a bit of a tag team. We, we'd only run like, I don't know, maybe like one or two ultras. Like we had no idea what we were doing. Um, and we decided to do, so we did the first five kilometers and the last five kilometers each day. And then what was in between we split and we sort of did town to town and we ran from um, Bundy to Brisbane and back. So it worked out that we did about just over 500 K each over, I think it was 17 days. Um, and we stopped at little, the little towns along the way and did like, like prostate cancer and men's health awareness stuff. Um, and yeah, it was, it was super cool. It was certainly eye opening. Um, my wife was, uh, I think seven months pregnant and that nearly caused a divorce. Um, but, but don't, don't do that. It's not a good idea. Uh, but, uh, that was probably the first little glimpse into, um, what might be possible, uh, back to back days. Um, I again got a pretty significant leg issue on the way back and being able to somehow work through that uh, and problem solve and crew. And it was, whilst we were certainly out of our depth, it was a, it was a real steep learning curve uh, and definitely gave us a good foundation going forward with other things we've done since and, uh, and ultra running in general, I guess. Mm. So the thing about Dinkarnasis, I think, as well as I remember being in uh, my local library when we just moved back to Auckland and I picked up his book. It was, I think it was, it was run. And just looking at the cover and thinking, this guy doesn't look like a regular runner. You know, like he looked more like uh, me, not that I was anywhere near looking like Dinkarnasis, but like he looked kind of a bigger, you know, like a stronger, more solid. It, it it feels like you're right. So many people are going to give him all sorts of types of grief, but he's so many people sort of gateway into this world, right? Like he's got, and, and, and he's still, you know, sort of the other side of his life. I think about, you know, the, the book that he's just, um, that he's just released was a runner's high. It's um, just fantastic. You know, talking about the sort of the other side of, you know, the, the mountain, if you will. Yeah, a couple of things on that. I mean, I'm a pretty slow reader and I read his uh, Ultramarathon Man in like, I think it was two or three days. I just remember just reading it and just being in hysterics, you know, laughing about him ordering pizzas to to corners and, um, you know, vomiting in his Lexus and just That's being like, the this life. And, <laughs> and uh, I just remember giving it to dad and I'm like, you got to read this book. I'm like, this is, we got to do this. And um yeah, it's as I said, it was a catalyst for me. I'm I'm actually reading one of his books right now. I'm still, you know, I'm uh, like I'm not any fanboy of Dean Carnesi's, but he, you know, you can't deny what he's done for running and uh, and changed so many people's lives just by doing what he does. Um, and interestingly enough, what you just mentioned, um, on a bit of a deeper level, uh, and I'm sure it's not where you're going with the comment you made, but um you know, on the whole, the image and the, and the, um, the build of Dean, like that's certainly been something that, uh, I still, I still do now and have for my whole running career is, um, is that image thing. I, I'm sure that lots of people struggle with this and I certainly struggle with, um, feeling like I don't look like a runner. Uh, and yeah. And I mean, um, 
you know, my, my idol and um, has been for over a decade uh, since I got an ultra running is, is Anton. And, uh, and, you know, that image of uh, a mountain athlete and a runner um, has always been something I've desired, but I don't know why, uh, but my body shape or whatever. And it's, you know, a lot of time, to be honest, I feel like an imposter, even though I've run over 50 ultra marathons and, uh, you know, and, and done quite well at a number of them. It's certainly something that I've struggled with in, in my running career. And uh, if you call it that and, and life in general. So it's something that doesn't really go away. And I think, it's something that I'd like to sort of speak a bit more about, I think, in the future. But, you know, I know a lot of people do struggle with that. And mm. to tell you the truth, my dad and I, like, we we talk about this quite often, you know, like we did UTA this year. And, um, you know, we're finishing the 100, the 100K. Like I was, I did quite well there this year by my standards. And, um, you know, I'm finishing and we're still like, I'm still like 10, 15 K out and the 50 K runners started like only half an hour to an hour behind us. And there's groups of like, um, bigger men and women still going in the 50. And I'm just like, like, I have so much respect for Mm -hmm. those people that, that they're even out there, let alone trying to mentally deal with any, um, battles that they might have with their self image and, not feeling like a air quotes runner, um, like it's incredible. So, you know, it's, I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with and certainly, um, it's tough to overcome, but, uh, you know, I guess we can only do our thing and do our best and chips fall where they may, I guess. Uh. It's so odd, isn't it? Like you think about hindsight, I remember looking back, you know, if you look through photos and I think about, you know, when I was in my late thirties or my mid thirties, I go, I was so worried and I wish I'd just been comfortable, you know, because actually when you look at a photo of yourself and you're five years removed, you go, oh, what was I so concerned about? You know, Mm. it's so strange, isn't it? Like there's that, I think that imposter syndrome is probably a lot more common than, than a lot of people and, and a lot of men actually would, would sort of, would speak to. Yeah. And we kind of, we kind of come up with definitions too, don't we? Like, oh, I'm not really a runner. Do you run? Yes, you're a runner. You know, but we kind of, we, we build these definitions. We build these images of what we should look like. Oh, oh, I'd be so much better if I wasn't that shape or if I wasn't that weight or whatever. Um, Yeah. We kind of hem ourselves in a lot, don't we? And uh, like Matt said, I I think it's just as much an issue with men as it is with women, perhaps under-recognized with with men. Mm. Yeah. Look, I I think a lot of these, I think a lot of these issues, um, you know, I think it's fantastic that there's so much awareness and so much being spoken about with, with these sorts of uh, issues in women's running currently. It's, it's great, Mm. but I think it's (laughs) as much so, if not even more so in, in men's running, as, as you said, it's just not spoken about. And, you know, I think uh, men, the way that we possibly wide, I don't know, we just tend to probably bury it and try and get on with it as opposed to, speaking about it and trying to be vulnerable, vulnerable about it. Um, and yeah, it's certainly a massive issue. I mean, probably just as much as in, in women's running. So mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing isn't the image and, and you hear, I mean, people do hear comments and, and you'll hear it yourself or you'll hear it with a group of 
uh, male runners when they're being competitive with each other, you know, they'll call each other, oh, you fat bastard or this or that. And it's just like, I think about it. It's like, dude, what are you up to? Do you know, like rising tide lifts all boats, you know, and competition is great, right? And, and being competitive is rad. Like, and you can be competitive. And like when I played music, the band I was in, we wanted to be bad brains. Like that's what we wanted to do. And we wanted yes. to just every time we went on stage, it's like we will wipe the floor or die trying with anyone. And that was, but we weren't dicks about it. You know what I mean? It was just like, but we were certainly like, there was a competitive, like we want to achieve what we do. And I don't understand why that has to be like, just, yeah, being, being nasty to each other. It's just, it's, it's just, it's unhelpful. And it, it doesn't feel very nice. Yeah. And I think there's, um, interestingly on that as well, it's, it's such a fine line because, you know, whilst I'm all for, uh, you know, we need to be accepting of each other and we need to, you know, um, lift each other up and be encouraging and accept all people. I think, I mean, this is completely off, off point. We're going like on a completely different tangent, but the whole, um, everybody's a delicate flower now, um, you know, mentality and no competition and, and that ribbing and that, you know, that good fun. And, you know, it's almost like you can't do that anymore. It's like, oh man, you might, you might offend someone because, you know, you know, you're with a group of, of blokes and you're on speed work and you're like someone, you know, is struggling, you call them a fat bastard or something like, you know, like something just in good fun. And it's almost like you can't do that anymore. Uh, I think we've gone possibly too far the other way where people nearly become too comfortable and make potentially making excuses for maybe not trying or working as hard as they can um, because it's okay because everybody will accept me for who I am. Um, and you've got to be kind of careful having that conversation now because it's so taboo to be like one side or the other. Definitely. I think it I comes down to, no, no, I agree. And I think it, it, it comes down to that thing, isn't it? It's, it's the, it's the, it's who you're with. It's the manner mm. in which it's said, it's the relationship whether you have with that person. And it's kind of that thing about I, the, the, the test I give myself is if I didn't know this person, would I feel comfortable saying that in a social situation? Would I say it at dinner? Would I say it in an elevator? If it's with my best yeah. friend, then I probably would, you know, and, and different, you know, different times, but you, and you're right. It's that, that essence too of competition in itself is still a very viable and that, that grit, that grind, that rub is, is, is a beautiful thing. How did, speaking of images and sort of running on here, I mean, at this point, I, I think of several things and this is wonderful. I think of, you know, you're talking about your dad worked and I mean, you were working hard at this point and, and images and things not being what they seem. I mean, you went from being, the front man of a Christian hardcore band bodybuilder dude to an ultra marathon runner. And then a policeman, you became, <laughs> you were a policeman at that stage. How, I mean, what, what influenced your decision to, to go into law enforcement? Yeah. So <laughs> it's almost, uh, uh, yeah, my wife and I look back on that time and we're like, what happened there? Like, is this this random, you know, blip in our lives that, uh, yeah, I speak just backing up before we get into that. I should mention too, my wife, um, 
incredibly uh, amazing woman. She's she's been by my side. We we got married super young. We got married at eighteen and nineteen. Um, so you know, so we've been married for nineteen years this year. I'm only thirty nine, and you know, she's seen a massive journey of mine uh, through through life and and different things I've done. So I often joke that she hasn't ever wanted to get rid of me because she's had a different husband every three or four years. Um, <laughs> um, so if that works, it works. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question. Um, so around the time the band was sort of finishing up, I thought, uh, you know, I was like, I suppose I better start responsible and get a real job and start supporting my, my wife. And, you know, we talked about having a family and always wanted to have kids. I'm like, I guess I can't just be in a band and, and work bum jobs and, you know, not be uh, pulling my weight for too long. So uh, initially I applied for and, and I passed everything to get into the, into the fireys, the um, firefighters, and I waited for, I think it was a year and a half for an interview. It's uh, incredibly competitive in Australia um, and even though I passed everything, um, unless you get an interview, um, it's, you know, you just another number. So I pretty much got tired of waiting. Uh, in the interim, I went to work for a bank, which is also hilarious. Uh, and um, again, that responsible job thing. Um, and, you know, we say I had my midlife crisis at like mid-20s, um, <laughs> trying, trying to be normal. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, eventually I was like, I'm just sick of waiting. Um, I want to do a job where I can help people uh, in a tangible way. Um, the idea of emergency services uh, certainly interests me. I, I couldn't see myself and still couldn't see myself being an AMBO. That's an incredibly difficult and um, very, uh, very tough job for very particular people that, that are called to do that job. Um, so I decided to, to give the police a run and look, all jokes aside, I, I, I didn't do like, I didn't do super well at school. I wasn't really interested. Um, I mean, I got through, but when I got into the police, it was something I really wanted to do. And I, and I graduated, I'm proud that I graduated the top of our intake and, um, and I enjoyed it while I was there. I, I believe I was a, I mean, I'd like to think that my peers would have said the same, that I was a, I was a fair and, and I was a, I was a good copper. I did the best job that I could in a extremely difficult occupation, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but, after being in for a couple of years, quickly realized that it certainly wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and hung in there for a while. I did nearly five years and I, I, I was working in a really good work environment. I, I was in the, I don't know if you have it in New Zealand, but we call it the police beat. So in the middle of um, a town where you deal with businesses, kids, um, pubs, shopping centers, so as far as police jobs go, it was, it was pretty good and I really enjoyed the community aspect of that. Um, but, yeah, after about three and a half years, I sort of was like, I, don't, I really don't want to be doing this with shift work. And um, I didn't like the person that I was becoming because of, because of the job because I was dealing with the worst, you know, 1% to 2% of society all day. Um, regardless of what you think of uh, or anybody thinks of coppers, um, and who they may or may not be. Uh, when you do that job for any period of time, you certainly start to see the world in a very different manner and it affects 
who you are. So, you know, you're dealing with the worst one to 2% of society and then and the environment at the station and your work colleagues is not great either because, you know, some have been in the job for so long they just hate the world because of what they see day in, day out. Um, so, yeah, it certainly was an environment that I wanted to be in long-term um, but really felt stuck. Uh, I didn't have any other um, any other qualifications. I'd, I'd worked with Dad on and off for years. He's a concreter. Uh, I thought about doing that, but that's super tough, especially in Queensland, super hot. Um and, you know, I didn't really want to do that for the rest of my life. So I felt really stuck. So I was there for nearly five years um, and eventually left uh, and decided to go to uni with my wife's support with a newborn and actually, sorry, uh, toddler and a newborn um, to go from a secure government job to to studying. So, yeah, it was, it was a wild ride and certainly have some stories, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, like you say, I mean, respect to anyone who puts on the uniform, you know, it's, mm. it's a, you know, it's, it's certainly not an easy job and, and, uh, but we rely on, on people doing it. And, uh, so, you know, um, yeah, respect for give, giving it a crack, but also recognizing that it wasn't for you. I think, you know, sometimes the easy option is just to trudge on, but, but you at least had the, you know, you know, you, you recognized that it wasn't for you that, you know, yeah, it's and, and you made that choice. Easy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I guess um, just a couple of things on that. And and I I often like to challenge people a little on this. Like anytime anybody wants to to stick it into their coppers and, and give them a hard time for what they do or what they may or may not see, um, two things. Uh, if you rode around with one in a car for a week uh, and saw what they had to deal with and put up with uh, and not retaliate, um, you'd certainly see things in a different way. Uh, and second of all, um, pretty much everything that the media prints is garbage. So don't believe everything you see in the press. So, um, yeah, just a couple of things to leave people with as far as that job goes. But, um, yeah, certainly was an easy decision. But in the end, um, I'd, I'd started to develop. I think this is kind of the time that it really started to develop and, and expand my thinking around what I wanted to do with my life and, I basically come to the decision that, uh, you know, I'd rather leave and fail at trying something than stay and be miserable for the rest of my life. Um, and I know that's really easy to say. Uh, I've got a few friends that are in jobs that, that they don't like, but find it really hard to see a way out. Um, but, you know, because I had the support of my wife and, um, you know, that was the biggest thing. Uh, that gave me, and it, and it took time, you know, as I said, it probably took about 18 months to make the, the move and to try and figure out where to from there. Cause I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to be there for the rest of my life. Um, so taking that leap and, and being prepared to fail, uh, I think was, was a more positive, uh, outlook for me than staying and being miserable or, mm. or not happy. Mm. Not, not miserable. I wouldn't say sure. miserable, but not happy and not fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess mean, the the greatest fear with that, wouldn't it, would be turning into that person who, and it's it's death by a thousand cuts, right? It's the, you know, you're not going to wake up one morning, and we all, all of us in our jobs go. Some mornings you feel a bit, you you know, you go through periods of burnout, you go through periods you're feeling a bit mossy or whatever. You need a bit of a water blasting. 
but then that slow inexorable creep and that cynicism it's you know it's it, yeah it's amazing that you that you recognize that and and you know having been in a job myself over the last 20 years I've, I've literally had some situations where I've relied on the police to save my life uh mm. you know I, I yeah have, have and and spent a lot of time in the back of police cars I've, over um yeah a lot, a lot of respect and and mm. people are humans right like, yeah, exactly um, right. And humans make mistakes in every job. There's, there's exactly weeds right. in every garden, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> yeah. So what did you go on to study? And, you, and you, you're running at all this point. I mean, what? sorry, just one more question. What, what did your police mates think of the fact that you get the whole, like, oh, I couldn't bloody drive a car that far. What are you up to? That yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was certainly a non-way finishing uh, night shift. We used to do a diff- bit different shifts, and I'd finished, uh, you know, we'd often do eight. AP to four A's and finish work four in the morning and then go and do my long runs. Um, it was certainly good training for uh, running on tired legs, that's for sure. Um, it was always say it was like starting a long run at about thirty k, um, and trying to just trudge through into the morning. Um, but yeah, it was definitely that. W- that was sort of at the beginning um, of my of my running, and yeah, you get all the usual comments of you know. Um, you know, yeah, wouldn't drive my car that far and are oh, you crazy and whatever. And um, there were a few good stories of me running down crooks that uh, yeah. that, <laughs> but that always helped. Um, but, yeah, so they all thought it was a bit odd. But, you know, I, I did have a, a good social network outside of uh, the job, which, again, is where a lot of people in the job struggle because they, they don't have that social network. So... Um, and running was certainly part of that. Uh, and, you know, we, we trained for events. We'd look forward to the trail community in, in Queensland was quite small then. So we would go to races and, and know, you know, 80% of the people at, at the start line. So it's like catching up with old friends and, you know, it was all exciting and new and, and there weren't a lot of races on. So, you know, you'd plan, you look forward to and train and, and head to the races and, and have a good time. But, yeah, but I basically left. Uh, I left to to study. Um, I went into physiotherapy and did uh, did a year of that, and um, and enjoyed that and did quite well. But uh, found that it wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, we then moved, and I basically was a run bum for a year and just worked in a health food shop and um, tried to live on the Sunshine Coast and spent all our money and went. Uh, we better move back to Bundy. Um, and we had young kids as well. So my parents are here and, uh, being near family was important. Uh, I came back, uh, I did a year of secondary teaching, um, which again, I really enjoyed, but, uh, wasn't something I enjoyed the teaching side, but not all the other stuff that the behavior management and uh, all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't something that I wanted to do again for the rest of my life. And, um, I guess, to, to cut a long story short, through the whole time even when i was in the police i was moonlighting uh as in cafes uh that was sort of my tattoo money um so you know when i got a shift here and there i'd work and and save my coin and um and get it tattooed and then shifts obviously yeah a few too many probably <laughs> um and uh and yeah just really from the very beginning i absolutely loved um, the cafe scene and and meeting people every day, uh, 
being able to interact with people and trying to make a difference to their day, whether it be for a 30-second interaction or sometimes people would stay in, in, a, in the cafe for two or three hours and, and building a relationship and family through the shops I worked in um, and learning a lot as well through working in different shops about things I liked and didn't like. And very long story short, uh, that led us to, um, to wanting to start our own shop which is a whole other story in itself. But, um, but yeah, but uh, now have, as I said earlier, I think we just opened our second shop and um, we've been in the game for uh, five years on Boxing Day. So, Brilliant. yeah, absolutely wow. love it. Yeah, it's it's an absolute passion. I I truly love going to work every day. Um, we've got a great team. Um, it's great. I love the, the process and the I, – I think in a lot of ways um, – making coffee and the actual working in a cafe is a lot like running. It's very, it is repetitive, but it's also not. And it's also very, can be meditative. It can be, um, you know, you build friendships through it uh, and it doesn't get old. Um, yeah. So I think that's where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's amazing. I've got to quit. I have to ask, did anyone ever give you the side eye? Like they go up to the counter and did anyone sort of ever recognize you from your time? You know, you, you, you were a local, you know, police officer. Would, would anyone do a double take? Like, I'm sure that was, you know, that constable. Did, did, did that ever happen? Yeah, every, every now and then. Um, not that often now, but because it's been uh, about eight years now um, yeah. since I left. But every now and then, and it was a, it was a running joke for a while because I was at the police beat, so I used to ride around on the push bike. And uh, right. so it's like every now and then it gets me. You were that copper on the bike, like yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was uh, you know every now and then it happens, but not that often. Not that often. Brilliant. Hey, yeah. I mean to ask too. You, you've run in, in lots of Australia's biggest races. You know, you mentioned UTA, Coast to Coast Sky, North Face One Hundred K. Do you have a favourite? Oh man. Ah. Uh, that's a big question. Um, my favorite race and my, I, my favorite race and my life dream um, got fulfilled in at the end of 2019. I hate to say it wasn't in Australia. I got to go and ride Leadville. Um, wow. I did. Uh, I got deep into the Born to Run thing when it first came out. I ran in sandals for about seven or eight years, um, and got to meet Barefoot Ted and run Leadville and was absolute dream come true so that's been my all-time favorite race and just life experience in general getting to go and hang out in boulder um crying as i drove in because i was so happy it still makes me emotional now um but if, as far as australian races go look results wise uh and experience wise and uh, I, I don't want this to come across egotistical but because it only lasted for a fleeting moment. Um, but uh, um, in, I can't even remember what year it was, but I I won the uh, the inaugural Buffalo Stampede. Um, so it was, it was three races over three days uh, and they were actually not sure whether anybody would be able to finish it. Um, and And I was able to win that. And I actually felt like, I actually felt like 
a superstar runner for five minutes. Um, so Beautiful. those three days yeah. and those events, fantastic. But I mean, to be honest, um, I've run some absolutely beautiful trails in Australia and, uh, and trail running is 100% my heart. But as far as um, experiences go, um, running from dipping your toe in the ocean and running to the top of Australia and doing Coast to Cozy, uh, even though it was predominantly on road and, and dirt road, that, that race is, it's an incredible experience. Like to go from the lowest point to the highest point in a country by foot over 240 kilometers um there's something pretty special about that and it's beautiful country down there uh it's it's a nice little family um yeah so that that would be one of the highlights for sure because matt Matt and i have never and i said coast to coast guys coast to cozy of course andrew mcdowell will be abusing me but anyway um (laughs) a friend of ours who's run it but um matt and i have never run in australia and and we think every t- we we think all the time we've got to get to Australia and run a race. But mm. uh, you know, obviously UTA stands out as the, as the big dog. But there must be so many other races, and and we kind of have this conversation of what would we do? But we just look over there, and there are just so many races. So it's just kind of like mm. you know, it's good to, good to hear some good feedback about those Aussie trail the Aussie trail scene. Well, I think I think some of the. Um some of the most memorable experiences that I have of running are like you do remember races, but certainly some of the most memorable experiences I have are uh, a training, you know, and just, and finding yourself in situations that just make you stop and, um, and shake your head. Cause they're just so incredible that, you know, you can't honestly believe that you're there. Like one, one of those is actually in New Zealand. I, I have a tendency whenever we go away on holidays uh, I Google like local trail running clubs and I just send them an email. I'm like, I'm here. I'm from, you know, from Queensland. Uh, I run. If anyone wants to run, it'd be awesome. So um, uh, I'll tell a quick story. Basically, I, uh, I've i done that a couple of times in New Zealand, once down in Queenstown um, and I got to run. Sorry, not Queenstown. We're actually in uh, uh, the little town just before you head out to Milford Sound. Tiana. Yeah, Tiano, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I met a guy there and he took me on some of the um the Kepler. Oh, Kepler, yes, thank you. Oh man, my brain's still not working real well. Um uh, on the Kepler, but the memorable one actually down there was uh I got in touch with this lady. She just run some obscene amount of kilometers around a, a couple of kilometer loop around Auckland. Um and I loosely knew her, I think, through Coast to Cozzy. This is a very vague story. Is it Jean Beaumont? No. The name might come to me. But anyway, she she was like, oh, I'm not running at the moment, but um, I, I knew her through Coast to Cozzy. And she's like, but I know this guy and, and he'd take you for a run. So we met in Auckland and she's like, just follow me. We're driving for like an hour. I'm like, where the hell are we going? Took us out to like, I don't know if you have this saying in Australia, we're like back us into nowhere, like <laughs> out, out the boonies. And um, I can't, I still don't even remember where we are now, but the guy that I met out there was Sean, is it Collins? Collins, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we very close to both of us. Um, yeah, so Sean, so Sean meets me there. He's like, yeah, let's go. So, mate, I think he puts on a race out there now, but the first like kilometre, 
Took us like 25 minutes. It's like <laughs> slick mud straight up the side of this freaking cliff. And then we end up on this ridge line. It's like sheer drops it. I'm like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> and have been my mates with Sean through Strava and whatever ever since. And so anyway, so that's a long way of saying that some of the best runs, you know, yeah, whilst races are fantastic, um, it's those situations that you sometimes find yourself in. And it doesn't even have to be like a trail like that. It can be, you know, you just stop and you're just like, how have I designed my life in a way that I can be here experiencing this in nature and everyone else is in bed or Mm. Yeah, as a hangover. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. There's um, it's there's a point at Riverhead Forest, and it's the highest point in the forest. And again, it's you know, it's not very high, but and it's the highest point in the forest. You can look at on the whole of the Auckland skyline. It's it's wonderful. And often when I'm up there, and you didn't know I've been up there a ton. I say, you know, I've said to him like, we're the only people in the world right now looking at this view from this point there's no one else in the whole world that's having this experience yeah and um and the other point it's a sean collins anecdote he he's a good friend of both of ours uh sean and madeline and my wife rebecca we put on the uh relapse the last person standing and yeah cool in Riverhead. Yeah. he's we help him out uh eugene and say one and i we went on a how, what do we we reached out sean like can you plot us a route around sort of piha some of the west coast beaches we went on this incredible trail that he plotted out. And then we we came to a sheer cliff and we're like, no, nah, this can't be, this can't be, this can't be right. And there was like this water, the tide's coming in. We can see a trail that's going up there, but no, no, our watches are saying, go up there. Say one who's this very lithe Korean gentleman, you know, he's all fast twitchy, scales up this cliff like a mountain goat, you and I sort of, puffing you know like there's rocks up, coming up, down <laughs> rocks there's scree coming down Saywon comes back yeah. down at us and he's got that he's just so beautifully measured his voice is so deep he goes i cannot find a rope and we're like oh, okay, <laughs> right, we'll, go, we'll go back down and so we go back oh, down and we run back along the beach thinking oh sean's sean's led us wrong and we um carry on up the track and it was beautiful and then we sort of giving him a bit of grief about it. We're like, you know, you, you sent us wrong. He's like, no, didn't didn't you find the chain? It turns out we just hadn't gone far enough up the cliff. Like we'd sent. Oh my no, god! He was bang on. He was he was like, no, no, there's there's a chain there, but we'd even sent an advance party up. We'd sent Saywon on ahead of us. Yeah. Saywon, you, 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 there's no so scouting party going up. Yeah, no, he was, he, and he was up there like a straight up this thing he came back no no there's nothing so yeah man i I love i love guys like like sean that it they're so unassuming and it's just like oh yeah we're just gonna go for a run and just like do the most gnarly like you know as said following him on strava like doing the the other day he did like 14 or something stupid amount of like repeats of that Mountain where you like seven thousand meters of climbing at like, sort of, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh yeah, just a training run. And then he just goes and does like a massive lap of Auckland and just, you know, super casual. Like I love those guys that it's just like and and you know, going back to the start of our conversation, you know, like as much as Dean is a marketing machine now, like in those early days, just to just be like, oh, yeah, I am just gonna run to the next town and not be like okay, now I have to have this many gels and I have to have water here and I have to have 
um, the weather just right. It's just like, no, just go and have an adventure, you know, like yeah. so rad. It'll, it'll sort itself out. It's, it's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? It's One way or another. Yeah. One way or another, it'll sort itself out. Matt, yeah. Yeah. you've been fantastic. You've been generous with your time. I'm aware that, you know, we're, we're sort of, God knows what time you're going to have to get up in the morning. Um, are you running in the morning? Are you, or are you still kind of taking Yeah, I've just started back training. So I've got a few races at the start of next year, but everything is certainly building. Uh, today is actually 10 months until uh, the it's big one kicks off. So oh, until go day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, dude, anything we can do to kind of spread the word, please let us know. But look, we ask one question of every single person that comes on uh, Dirt Church Radio, and I don't know whether you've answered this or not, but look, Matt Grills, what's been your greatest run ever? Leadville, hundred percent, right. um, without and and not even so much uh, the race. Literally um, running in Boulder, uh, meeting a dude that I met through social media and had been friends with on social media for probably five years. He took me for a run um, up Bear Mountain and Green Mountain um, at the Flat Irons. Uh, the whole experience of being in Boulder being in the town, um, trying to find Anton failing uh, and and getting to run Leadville. Like literally if I would have died after Leadville, that that was my life, uh, my life dream fulfilled Complete. as far as running goes, mm. 100%. Brilliant. Fantastic. And you said you, you, meet, you meet Barefoot Ted. Uh, he's, certainly yeah. a very, he's certainly a very singular individual, isn't he? Bro, he is like 100% exactly as you would imagine. Yeah. Oh, like uh, in California, yeah. chill, surfing vibe, like so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super. It's a, we, uh, I interviewed him a while ago for a print magazine and then Eugene and I had the good fortune a couple of weeks ago when we were sort of right in the, on the horns of this lockdown to have to speak to him and, and, and much like this conversation, it was just, it was enlivening. It was enthusiastic and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really a, a really good time. But look, Matt, thank you so much for coming on Dirt Church Radio. Uh, where can people find you on, on social media? Yeah. I, so my main platform is, um, is adventures and activism on, uh, on Instagram. I write a, a weekly blog through um, my website, The Tattoo Runner. I don't know if anybody still reads blogs, uh, but I do. And um, if uh, if anybody, feel free to cut this out, but if anybody uh, would like to be involved or help in any way for uh, for the adventure that i got planned next year, uh, feel free to, to shoot me a DM on, uh, on Instagram. Um, or we can put our email addresses or whatever in the links um, if you guys do that. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do. We got shows. Yeah, so we're um we're just on a on a logistical front. We have vehicles and product and stuff sorted, um, and um, we're still see. I've been speaking to a few people. We're still seeking a, a major financial sponsor, but um, I've got some links up to do, hopefully get a. A documentary done and it's all sort of happening but um yeah if anybody is open to being involved and and feels like they align with who i am and what i'm about um yeah shoot me a line brilliant fantastic thank you so much matt thanks matt no worries we didn't even talk about tattoos 
briefly. What, what the heck? Have you back, when we have you back on the podcast, uh, we can talk about tennis. Sounds good. Awesome. Wow. Thanks, Matt. Amazing. Uh, you know, but I felt a bit out of place being the only not Matt in that conversation. But, you know, one day we'll get another Eugene on. I hope we do. You know, you can really get one get one back on me. Because it's been a couple of times when there's been, has been, has you've been. been the only non Matt. Mm, mm. But what a great, I mean, worth it, worth it, absolutely. Uh, great conversation. Loved it, loved it. Uh, and, and I can't wait to see how his yeah. uh, his his run across Australia goes. I mean, yeah. you know, all the best with that one, brother. Huge and, uh, adventure. Yeah, what a oh, goodness. I mean, it's a big place. This is the thing. It's not like it's you know you think about um, you think about uh, you know doing uh, Tiaroa, but then you think about running across Australia, and it's like it's another degree mm. of huge yep. hugeness. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, I'm, I, I'm gushing, but thank you very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. You can like and subscribe if you fancy, and you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you, and you can read them on the website too, and people love doing that. We did have a bit of a backlog over lockdown. That backlog has diminished, so now's your chance. Get in. Send them in, people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to our sponsors, Scott Running for the Faster Sieli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. Thank you to our editor, Kieran. And we've got another great show lined up for you next week. So please tune in then. Kakiteano. Thanks, Rigby.